I'm Aaron Reynolds, and you're listening to Explain Like I'm Five on the 2020 Network, brought to you by Interac. Many people, myself included, secretly worry that someone could come along and steal their identity. According to the Canadian Anti-Fraud Centre, identity theft rates rose by 33% for each of the past three years. It's certainly an interesting topic that's top of mind. Download the Interact Digital Identity White Paper at developer.interact.ca. I like to think that I'm an intelligent guy, but I know more about blue corn chips than I do about blue chip stocks, and that's kind of a problem. So that's why I'm inviting really smart people onto this show to explain things to me like I'm five. As soon as there's any kind of election in the United States, we start seeing commentary about what this means for American abortion law and the cornerstone case of Roe versus Wade. During the brouhaha around Brett Kavanaugh's appointment to the U.S. Supreme Court, I got thinking about Canada's abortion law. Does it similarly hinge on one case? What exactly is the law? And how did it evolve? To help me with these questions, I have Daphne Gilbert, a professor at the Faculty of Law at the University of Ottawa. Thank you for being here. Thank you for inviting me. I would love to start with uh, the history around uh, abortion law in Canada. At one point, it was illegal. Yep. Um, can you sort of walk us through how we got to where we are today. Yeah, so abortion was illegal in Canada up till 1969, as was contraception too, by the way. Okay. Uh, so both of those were illegal up till 1969. In the 1960s, there started to be a lot of protest movements, women's protest movements, and doctors also were coming forward and expressing concerns about the law. So there was a commission struck in 1967, the Royal Commission on the Status of Women, and it spent two years touring the country and talking to doctors and women and and figuring out what the best approach would be. And in 1969, the government uh, amended the Criminal Code of Canada. So this was under Pierre Trudeau. And they amended the Criminal Code of Canada, which is where the ban was was located. And, and criminal law in Canada is a national law. Right. We have the same criminal law everywhere. And they added a section, Section 251, to the Criminal Code, which still banned abortion unless you fit the criteria that the law set out. And so you couldn't provide an abortion unless you were in a hospital, and you couldn't obtain one unless you fit this criteria. And the criteria was that you had to get permission from what was called a therapeutic abortion committee. The committee had to have three members, none of whom could be abortion providers. And the only guidance to the committee was that they could consider the women's health and life in making their decision. And that was that was it. That's right. all the criminal okay. code said. And that's how we lived for the next 20 years, is women, if they wanted to have an abortion, had to go to their doctor and drop an application and submit it to a therapeutic abortion committee. And uh, in the 1970s, Dr. Henry Morgenthaler, who is the champion, as you know, of Canada's abortion rights movement, he um, was arrested several times for performing clinic abortions, so abortions outside of the hospital, and for not not getting the permission of the committees in doing so. So he provoked a bunch of prosecutions um, and tried to make his argument in court. Um, and then 
the magical moment from his point of view was 1982, when the Charter of Rights and Freedoms came out. And once the Charter of Rights and Freedoms uh, was promulgated, it meant that all our laws had to be in accordance with the, uh, with the Charter. And that meant you could start attacking criminal laws that were violating the right, Charter. Right, okay. And so that's what he did. He took one of his prosecutions up to the Supreme Court of Canada on the grounds that this procedure in the criminal code violated a woman's... Uh, charter rights. And that was the R.V. Morgenthaler case of 1988, which is our groundbreaking abortion decision. Right. It's the only decision we have at the Supreme Court that directly touches on abortion laws. So so that 20-year period um, was very difficult for women. Um, you know, there was... The, there was absolutely no consistency across the country on the criteria. So some committees were looking at only physical life, endangerment of life. Some committees would look at uh, psychological health. Some women or some uh, committees just took their position that it was basically a rubber stamp, but it was entirely at the whim of the committee. Uh, But what was even more uh, difficult was that the hospitals were not required to set up a therapeutic abortion committee, and most of them didn't. So many women across the country, most women, lived in places where they could not access a committee without traveling great distance and without some difficulty in figuring out where they could go. So that was the situation that Dr. Morgenthaler argued at the Supreme Court. Well, so, I'm, I'm curious uh, to know how, how that timeline paral- parallels what happened in the United States. So that's an interesting question because, of course, it was all happening at the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, Roe v. Wade was decided by the American Supreme Court in 1973. Okay. And it was the decision that uh, said that uh, abortion was a constitutional right for women. And it's the infamous decision now that every president right, has to deal with whenever yep. there's an, a Supreme Court appointee. But yeah, so in the United States, abortion was legal after 1973 uh, with, again, a set of restrictions that came um, mainly around gestational limits for abortion. But for the first 12 weeks of pregnancy, essentially, for quite a few years, most American women could, could quite easily get an abortion. Okay, so let's talk about uh, Morgenthaler. Uh, what, what happened next? So the Morgenthaler decision was a watershed moment. Uh, Dr. Morgenthaler was successful, so that's the bottom line. So the court uh, held, and this was a judgment that was written by the Chief Justice of the court at the time, Chief Justice Dixon. They agreed with Dr. Morgenthaler that that denying women an abortion uh, for any reason other than um, any reason based other than on what they wanted was a mm-hmm. violation of a woman's security of the person okay. and, a, and a violation of her liberty rights, which are both part of Section Seven of the Charter. And so, the Section Seven rights include the right to make decisions based on your own aspirations. They make they they include the right to be secure in your body, both physically but also psychologically. That you you know that your body is being treated in the way that you want it to be treated, and that decisions about your body are your own. And liberty means you know you you get to set a course for your life that that you get to follow without undue state interference in that in the choices that you're making. So Dr. Morgenthaler persuaded the court that banning abortion uh, violated those interests and that the procedure that Canada had established to grant permission for abortions was also a violation of the Charter precisely because it was so inconsistent across the country. Right. Because we had a national criminal law, and we still do, uh, you can't have people experiencing that law differently just 
by virtue of where they happened to live. So uh, women who didn't live in major cities had virtually no access to abortion. And it was also unfair that if you lived in one city where it was just a rubber stamp to give you permission, but another city you know, required your life to be endangered, and that just happened to be the luck of the draw, that's not fair. And the court agreed with that. So they struck down the criminal code provision, which means they declared it of no force and effect. And from that time on, we've not had any criminal regulation of abortion uh, since since 1988. Okay. And what did that do to change? Uh, because when the uh, when the law was in place, it was only at a hospital, mm-hmm. right? What what happened after that? So after we had no criminal law on abortion, it became regulated like any other medical service. And regulation of medical services is a provincial matter. Okay. So abortion became treated just like any other medical service, and provinces were obligated under the Canada Health Act to fund abortion, okay. including in private clinics. Did that like vary province to province or was it? Yes, it was a huge variance and still is actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, so first of all, even today, New Brunswick refuses to pay for clinic abortions in violation of the Canada Health Act. Okay. Um, but more to the point, provinces uh, put up barriers to access. Um, and so some of those barriers were you needed to get a referral from one or perhaps even two doctors in order to to get your abortion. So you had to convince a family doctor that you needed the abortion and maybe even a second one. Uh, Some of them limited funding to, you know, capped it at a very low amount, which meant women were paying out of pocket. Um, There were gestational limits in terms of the length of time you were eligible for an abortion. So the the rules and regulations varied across the country. Mm -hmm. And is that still the case today? Things are a lot more uniform now, um, but that's really been a, a fairly recent development. Up until a couple of years ago, actually two years ago, there were no pr- abortion services at all on Prince Edward Island. Okay. Up until last year, uh, abortions in New Brunswick still required referral from two doctors. And that's difficult, as you can imagine. I mean, we all know how hard it is to find a family doctor, mm-hmm. never mind to find two. Plus, that adds time and delay to the right. process. And then if there's also a gestational limit, that That's, sort of gives you a very limited window to, yeah. Exactly. So, uh, but, but more or less now, um, in terms of the provincial rules, there's fair, fairly uniform rules. The biggest problem remains um, the fact that we cannot force physicians, obviously, to perform abortions, right. nor can we force hospitals, and especially Catholic hospitals, to perform them. And so we still have huge problems of, of, of lack of access. Fewer than 16% of hospitals in Canada will perform an abortion. And so places where clinics are uh, run into lots of rules um, you know, really struggle with access. When abortion was illegal, what did that, what did that look like for a person who, who wanted one? It looked terrifying. Yeah. Um, one thing we know is that women will always find a way to have an abortion if they want to have an abortion. And that is true worldwide. And many of them will die trying to do that, but they will find ways to at least try. So that was what was happening. There was a, you know, a, a great black market for abortion services. There were physicians always who were prepared to do it because they felt it was the right thing to do. There right. were midwives, there were nurses, and then there were just people who you know, were prepared to try and help. But it was dangerous, um, and it was obviously hugely stigmatizing, uh, so it was done in you know, a lot of secret. Uh, the punishments for 
getting caught were severe. When abortion was criminalized before 1969, it was life imprisonment for a, a physician convicted, wow. possibility of life okay. imprisonment for a physician convicted of, of providing an abortion. Just, uh, uh, Dr. Morgenthaler in the 1970s spent a year and a half in jail for providing abortions in clinics without permission. So it was a very real risk of prosecution, and women also were prosecuted um, for, for having an abortion. And, you know, I should also say, ironically, too, at that time, there was also a lot of forced sterilization happening of Indigenous women, okay. of uh, yeah. women with disabilities. So there was a lot of control over women's reproduction, all kind of happening at the same time in the, in the first half of uh, the 20th century. How fluid is the law around this now? Because, um, you know, when, when I think about uh, – you, you, you spoke of it before, you know, with the, the Supreme Court in the United States. It's a, a specter that rises up every time there's an election or anything like that. Do we, do we see as much fluidity around it in Canada? And what has changed in the last couple of years? So Canadians are overwhelmingly pro-choice. Every poll, you know, consistently says that most Canadians are pro-choice. So that has remained stable. And uh, more and more, the provinces are getting online in terms of making uniform rules that take down some of the barriers for access. The biggest change and the most positive change has been that two years ago, Health Canada finally legalized what's called the abortion drug, which is called Mifigaimiso. Mifigaimiso. Okay. It's a combination of two different drugs that provoke a miscarriage, essentially. Okay. When they first approved the drug, which had been operating for more than 20 years in Europe and the United States, so one of the you know, key questions was why it took Health Canada so long right. to approve the drug. But once it did, it unrolled uh, with a lot of early restrictions to it. It was only permissible up to 49 days of gestation, whereas the World Health Organization recommends 70 days. So a lot fewer, a uh, lot, lot less access for, for that, for using that drug. Um, physicians had to take a six-hour training course. Uh, pharmacists had to dispense directly to the physician who then would give it to the woman. Often they required the woman to take the first drug, in front, first pill right in front of them. You had to have an ultrasound before you could take the drugs in order to determine your gestational age. So there were a lot of rules. Um, two years later, last November, Health Canada relaxed most of them. There's no longer a training program anymore. Gestational limit was at least raised to 63 days from 49. Still not 70, but mm -hmm. a big jump. Yep. Um, and now physicians can dispense directly to women. So women get the prescription from their, their doctor, they go to the pharmacy, they get the combination pack, they take it home, and they can do it in, in the privacy of their home, own home. And that's part of a larger worldwide movement called self-managed abortion, where the argument is that abortion is something that can be managed by women without medical intervention, and we can take it out of the control of the medical profession and really give it into the hands of women directly right. who can make these decisions themselves about how they want to uh, treat their pregnancy. Right, because that whole like the whole doctor visit is is a both a, a it's like a psychological barrier as much as it is a, like a procedural barrier. Yeah, because there's still a lot of stigma yeah. uh, around abortion, and one of the one of the problems that is happening in Canada right now, which actually is being litigated. 
um, in, in Ontario as we speak is the problem of conscientious objection by physicians. So there's a big case at the Court of Appeal of Ontario right now um, where a group of uh, anti-abortion physicians and lobby groups are um, attacking a policy of the College of Physicians and Surgeons, which says that if you yourself have a conscience objection to abortion or, or medical aid in dying, they're jointly uh, part of this class action, or this, uh, this action. Um, if you have a conscientious objection, you have to make an effective referral to a physician oh. who will assist that woman right. in making her choice. Okay. And this group of anti-abortion physicians and their lobby groups are protesting the requirement that they make an effective referral, saying that makes them complicit in the abortion decision. So, you know, the, the problem that a woman might have is she goes to her physician and he or she may not admit that they're not in favor of abortion and may just present it as not a very good option for you, you know. Right. Um, or you may just have difficulty finding a physician who will talk to you openly about your choices, uh, make clear the various options that you have, including a medical abortion with drugs or a surgical abortion, or continuing the pregnancy with an assessment, a realistic assessment of the risks of doing that, if there are risks mm-hmm. and that's what you're worried about. Uh, so getting accurate information from physicians can be difficult. That's why a self-managed abortion movement tries to bypass that and, right. and, and give women the choice. And so the last thing I want to ask is uh, where does Canada fit in the rest of the world when it comes to, when it comes to this? Well, we remain the only country in the world with no criminal regulation. So we're a model to the, to the rest of the world in that respect. And we remain a leader as far as um, promoting abortion as an option for women um, in pregnancy. We're seeing now worldwide a movement to, away from the, the traditional pro-choice idea of, you know, every woman should have a choice to more of a reproductive justice model. And reproduct, reproductive justice says that it is a human right that uh, every woman should be able to have a child or not have a child and raise that child in a safe and healthy environment. So now reproductive justice is, first of all, concerned about putting the choice into the hands of women, so demedicalizing abortion, taking physicians out of the picture. So reproductive justice is partly about self-managed abortion. It's also about making sure that... Um, that women are not forcibly sterilized, which is happening in Canada right now, we know, uh, that women um, have good prenatal care around the world, that there is uh, support for women uh, when they have a baby. There's maternity leave and parental leave. There is universal daycare. There are good schools and safe water and safe housing for, for women and children. So that's part of the worldwide movement to say abortion is a choice, sometimes born out of desperation, and sometimes it is really a choice. And sometimes it is it, it comes from physical uh, issues with women and with the with the fetus, that there's a whole range of reasons why women resort to abortion. It isn't something that women use as birth control. We know overwhelmingly that that is a, a myth that um, that abortion is a form of, of birth control that women practice. Uh, over ninety percent of abortions happen in the first nine weeks. So this is a decision that women make quickly, that they are very sure of, and um, and the reproduct- re- reproductive justice model says that we should leave it in the hands. Of, of women. Thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you. It's-
It seems like financial crime is a news headline every day. Everyone is looking for ways to keep their money safe. But what are some simple tips for businesses and Canadians to protect themselves? Interact is offering tips at interact.ca slash fraud prevention. 